Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. And of course, the book of Acts is all about the acts of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But who does the Holy Spirit work through? Believers. And you see that in Acts chapter 14. I'll point it out to you. But nowhere in the book of Acts do you see anything happen outside of believers, followers of Christ. I mean, how do miracles happen in the book of Acts? How do signs and wonders happen in the book of Acts? Through believers. How are people saved in the book of Acts? When a believer shares the gospel with someone else. Nowhere else in Acts, do you, I mean, you don't see any other way of people being saved in Acts except through believers. So how did God start the church? Through believers, through followers, and the Holy Spirit filling them and working through them and moving, right? Okay, so what is He going to do at the end if that's how He did it in the beginning? The same thing. And is that not what He's done throughout the church age? Of course it is. That's how God has chosen to work through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only difference as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ is it's going to intensify. And you're going to see God pour out His Spirit, just like He did in the book of Acts, in miraculous ways. And you're going to see more and more people come to faith in Christ just before He returns. It's just the fulfillment of what He says in Matthew 24, 14. Because all nations must hear before He comes. And the end will come then. And so that's what's happening in the book of Acts. I believe that's what's happening now. I believe that with all my heart. So here's a good question for you. How do you know that we're getting close to the return of Christ? How do you know that? I mean, can you know? I guess that's a good question. Can you know? So, I mean, of course we don't know exact moments. I mean, Jesus says even He doesn't know the exact moment He's coming back. But can we know when He's coming? I know that sounds contradictory, but it's not contradictory according to Jesus. We know when the season, when the time generally is just before He comes. So I guess a question, what's going to mark that time? Gospels being spread. But I believe there's one even word you could use that is going to mark the time of the return of Christ. Okay, let's, we'll just bring it down more to our context, more to our culture. We could even bring this word down into our churches. But if there is one word that kind of marks the United States right now, marks our culture. Apostasy. Apostasy? Yeah, but... Would you say that? Can you say that as a whole? As a whole, I don't know that you can say that. I mean, there is apostasy everywhere, of course. And there always has been, really. I mean, there always has been. There always will be until Christ returns. I mean, but just think about our culture. And I'll, I'll give you the word I'm thinking about anyway. But uh, I think division marks us as a culture, as a church, as families. I mean, I think that would be one word that marks culture right now, division, right? I mean, we are divided. Okay, what does the gospel do? It does that. Well, it 
No, it doesn't. I mean, the gospel does two things. It saves. It does. It saves. When the gospel is preached, when the gospel is shared, it is salvific, right? It saves. The gospel saves. But the gospel divides big time. Right? Yeah. Now, do you... Well, it doesn't even do that. The gospel divides the church. Well, that don't matter. But what does Jesus say it's going to do to the church? It always divides. Right? Okay. Okay, I'm not lying to you, okay? So I don't want you to think I'm lying. So look over. Look to Luke 12. Let's see. It'll be Luke 12. Look, look to Luke 12. This is really good. Because I want you to see what I'm saying. It's biblical. I'm not making it up. Okay, are you there? It's not far from Acts. So the one who wrote Luke also wrote Acts. But this is Jesus speaking. This is not an interpretation of what he says. This is not a teaching of what he says. This is what Jesus himself says in Luke 12. Okay, look at verse 49. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Okay, of course, that's what's about to happen on the cross. Okay, verse 51. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to what? I have come to bring division. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will split apart. The three in favor of me and two against me. Two in favor, three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. That one's not hard. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus, don't even have to do that. Okay. Verse 54. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, Here comes a shower, and you're right. When the south wind blows, you say, Today is going to be a scorcher, and it is. You fools. You know how to interpret the weather and the signs of the earth and the sky but you don't know how to interpret the times. Okay, so what's he talking about? Interpret the times. The times we're living right now. The times just before he returns. And what's going to happen after he returns? Well, what he says, read the end of Revelation. Is the world going to be on fire? Heck yeah, it is. It's not good after Revelation 14. It's going to be bad. And so the times we're living in, and he's talking about the return. So what is going to mark the time just before he returns? Division is going to mark this world before Jesus Christ returns to this earth. Okay? Now, here's a good question for you. That's what it's going to be in the end, right? What was it in the beginning? It's the same thing. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. There has always been division. There always will be division. So how can we interpret our present time and know that it's not just 
like it was 2,000 years ago. How can we know that it's closer and closer and closer to the return of Christ than it's ever been? It's, it is. I mean, there's an amplification, right? Okay, so this is what marks us now. Oh, no, it's worldwide. Yeah, this is not just talking about the United States because we're a blimp on the radar when it comes to kingdom of God things. Okay? So what I want you to see in Acts chapter 14 is this is exactly what happened as Paul went out and shared the gospel. And as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, this is what it's going to be. Okay? So I want to read it to you, but just... I want you to remember exactly what's happening here before we get into what we're going to read in Acts chapter 14. So remember in Acts chapter 13, the church of Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas. And why did they send out Paul and Barnabas to the work which God had called him? Because the Holy Spirit of God said to them specifically, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, send them out. And then the Holy Spirit literally is the one that sent them out. And so they went out and they went on missionary journeys. They went around sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened is they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were saved, but was everyone saved? Did everyone like it? No. And so right here in Acts chapter 14, when they get to Lystra, one of the cities that they preach the gospel in, they come to a man who has been lame, he has been crippled, he has never walked since birth. So it's not like he walked and had an injury and then couldn't walk. He has never walked. And what did Paul do? Paul healed him. He said, stand up and walk. And what did the dude do? Stood up and walked. Now think about what a miracle that is. Okay, now every one of you at some point learned to walk, right? Okay, when you learned to walk, were you good at it? How many times did you fall on your face? Now you probably can't remember this, but you fell on your face a lot, right? Okay, has anyone in here ever had to learn to rewalk, basically, maybe from an injury and you couldn't walk for a period of time and then you had to learn to walk again. I did. Okay. Now, was that easy? No. Did you fall and bust your butt on that time too? Of course you did. You just don't walk, right? You learn to walk. But this dude had never walked. And what happened when Paul said, stand up and walk? He stood up and walked. I mean, he just walked. I mean, it's a miracle. Not that he could, but that he did. I mean, it's all, the whole thing's a miracle. So where he was in Lystra here, the people were amazed. They should have been amazed. But this is what they started doing. They started worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They started bringing sacrifices to them because in their city they had a temple of Zeus, and that's how they worshiped. They didn't know any better. And so it just threw Paul and Barnabas for loop, and they tried to teach the gospel to them and shared, no, guys, you don't worship me. We're not worthy of worship, and they pointed people to Jesus. So that's what they're doing. They're pointing people to Jesus. But right after this just incredible miracle happened, Look at verse 19 of Acts 14. This is what happened. Then some Jews. Okay. Now, where are these Jews from? It tells you. They arrived from Antioch. Now remember, this is not the same Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, this is Antioch of Syria that sent Paul and Barnabas out from the church. They go to another Antioch in the region, but it's the same name of a city, and they preach the gospel at Antioch. And they go into the synagogue on a Sabbath. They preach, and the people are amazed. So they invite them to come back on the next Sabbath. And the Bible says the entire town shows up. And guess what happened to some of the Jews that led the synagogue? Uh, they didn't like it because they weren't as popular as Paul and Barnabas. And so they kicked them out of the city, basically. Tried to stone them, didn't stone them, but got them out of the city. 
Now that's the group of Jews that come now to Lystra. Verse 19, Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the town thinking he was dead. Okay. So what did the Jews that arrived from Antioch and Iconium, what did they do to the people there in the city? What did they do to the people of Derby? They divided them, right? They persuaded them not to believe the gospel, the truth of Scripture. Okay, so here's a good question. What do you think is happening in our day? Why are people divided? Why? Well, some know the truth. I hope we know the truth. But all this political stuff? Well, there's political stuff. There's religious stuff. Okay, now again, remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. He says, you can look to the sky and you can see a storm cloud coming. And you say, hey, it's about to rain. We can do that now, right? Yeah, we can do that now. But he calls us fools because we can't read the signs of the time. Okay. So I want you to turn somewhere. Turn to 1 John. So turn over towards Revelation. Turn back just a little bit. 1 John chapter 2. First John 2. And I want you to see what John says here. The Apostle John wrote this. Are you there? Yes. Okay, look at, verse, uh, look at verse 18. Okay. So this is what he says. Verse 18, he says, Dear children, the last hour is here. Now again, what's the last hour? Okay, well, now I talk a lot about the last days, right? So if we're in the last hour... We're getting closer, right? We're getting closer. The last hour is here. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. Now here's the thing about end time when we study prophecy and we talk about revelation. What does everybody want to know? We want to know who's Jesus coming back, but before Jesus can come back, somebody's got to rise up, and this what John's talking about here is the Antichrist. And doesn't everybody want to know, well, where's that dude from, and who's that dude going to be, and is he living in our day, and blah, 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 and we try to figure all this garbage out, right? And nobody's going to figure all that garbage out, no matter what they tell you. Okay, so why do we focus on that? We ain't going to know that, but we can know something, because John says the Antichrist is coming, but already many such antichrists have appeared. So before the antichrist rides up, capital A, whoever that guy is, the revelation, the beast, however you want to say it, before that guy rises up, what has to happen? Many antichrists have to come. And not just many antichrists have to come, there is going to have to be a spirit of the antichrist for him to even rise up. Right? Well, okay, if you don't believe me, keep reading. Okay? Many such antichrists have appeared. From this we know that 
the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they were never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong to us. So now where are these antichrists going to come from? From the church. They're coming from the church. But verse 20, this is good if you're a true follower. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit. And all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And this is what he tells you who the liars are. Verse 22, And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son and the Father also. Okay, so there's going to be, in the last hour, in the last days, there are going to be many among us who divide us. And what do they divide us with? Lies. Okay, so we've already, I think, established the fact that as a culture, as churches, as a nation, as a world, we're divided, right? So what divides us? Truth from lies. Okay? Lies divide us. So what is a lie? Anything that's not truth. So what is truth? Okay. Okay, so anything that is not truth is a lie, even if it's masked in truth, correct? Even if they use the Bible to say that it's truth, it can still be a lie, correct? Because they can twist and turn and use one scripture here but not take the whole counsel of scripture. Okay, now where are these antichrists going to come from? They're going to come from within the church and go out, but they're never really a part of us. And what are they going to do? To begin with, they're going to divide the church. But what happens once the church is divided? Is culture not divided also? Because what happens truly... When you divide the church, what happens to the gospel? According to Jesus, we just read it in John chapter 17, a prayer he prayed for the church. And what did he pray for the church? In John chapter 17, his last prayer that he really prays that we know about, other than the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying about the cross, what does he pray for? He prays for the church to be united because that's how they will know me. That's how they'll know me. So once the church is split, what's going to happen to everything else? Is the gospel going to be shared? Well, it will be, but not like it should be, correct? So there's going to be division. And so in an interesting, just look at our culture just from a United States perspective. I mean, I'm not ever saying that the United States has always been United. I know we call ourselves the United States, but we've never been 100% fully united because we're people, right? So that's probably never going to happen. And I know we can talk about past times in history like the Civil War. But think about the division that exists today. Is it one topic or one idea that divides us? Mm -mm. 
So to me, like culturally, it's more of a spirit that divides us. Does that make sense? And that's why I say you are going to have many antichrists before the antichrist, but you're going to have a spirit of the antichrist. And I think that's what you see permeating our society right now. Because truth's relative, right? In our society, truth's relative. I mean, truth to you might not be truth to me, and truth to me might not be truth to you. And they say it's okay. Because I can't impose my truth upon you, and you can't impose your truth upon me because it's my truth, not your truth. Well, that's a lie. Because truth is truth. And again, what is truth? This is truth. The Word of God is truth. And so I know we can get tied up into things like from a political perspective and a media perspective. Well, they're lying to Well, yeah, they're lying to you, but it doesn't matter. Truth is truth. And so if you don't know this, do you know truth? You don't know truth. So what's going to be really, 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 really important in the last days? Well, keep reading 1 John 2. Okay, verse 24. So you must remain what? Faithful. To what you have been taught from the beginning... Now, boy, that's really important in our day because aren't there a lot of new ideas and a lot of new teachings, even from the Bible, especially when it comes to things like gender and marriage and sexuality and on and on and on and on. But what are we to remain faithful to? What we've been taught from what? The beginning. So when you hear people like Andy Stanley and others say things that weren't from the beginning and say things like you can't use Scripture to teach Jesus. Oh, yeah. And to say things like you really don't need the Old Testament. The, why did he get so messed up? How did he get so messed up? Well, that's a different discussion. <laughs> Along this line, though, I do have a question. I know the New International NIV has changed some in the recent oh, yeah. No, it's changed a lot. A lot, yes. And what other translations have begun to alter um, uh, for, the, for, for this? Gosh. Yeah, I mean, we're getting in a whole different topic. But uh, no, it's good. No, you need to know this because you need to know, remain faithful. Okay. So the NIV, New International Version, I mean, it has the last 30, 40 years been the most popular translation of the Bible. And I think it's 1984, the original, or around there. I mean, NIV, it really is a really good translation, the original translation, the 1984 version or whatever year. I'm pretty sure it's 84. I mean, that's a great translation. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's InterVarsity that did that. I can't remember the publishing house, okay? 
But of course, when you translate the Bible, whatever publishing house you are, you own the rights to that. And so uh, as publishing houses change and as they get new leadership in and as they get new ideas and as people lead them different directions, well, I don't like the way that was translated, so they come up with new translations to be palatable for society. So society will keep buying their stuff. And so what Gene's talking about, what the NIV has done is they've taken genders out of the Bible, basically. Okay, it's genderless. And in some places it's fine because, like, some places we say the word man, but it's talking about mankind, okay? It's talking about holistic. It's talking about everyone, right? Okay, so the way they couch this, well, we're trying to make people understand that. But they don't stop there. They go and they take out all genders. And so what do you think the end game is here? It's to make God genderless as well and to take that away. And that, of course, I mean, this goes way back. But so the NIV, the current version of the NIV is awful. Do not buy a current version of the NIV. It's horrible. Uh, but there will be other translations that do the same thing because guess what the number one selling book in the world has always been? It's always been the Bible. So not only is that good, that's a money thing for people and publishing houses. They make a lot of money off selling Bibles. And so they're going to keep translating into different ways to make the Bible palatable to people and society and what culture believes. And so that's why they do it. Well, yeah, but not one that I think you would know or that's on kind of that top ten list that people would buy, okay? And look, look, no translation's perfect, okay? There are translations of the original language, so no translation's perfect. Don't let anybody tell you that. But you do want to stay with a translation that stays as close as they can to the original languages but still make it so it makes sense to us today. And that's not easy. I'm not telling you, that's hard to do. I mean, it's very difficult to do. But you do have translations that change the whole meaning of what the Bible's saying. So you have to be careful, and I would never buy the NIV current version. Yeah. Uh, over antiquity, as the original texts were translated, would God not still have his inspiration and his guidance to those individuals doing that? Well, here's, I would say yes and no. From a guidance standpoint and who is doing it, yes. But from an inspiration standpoint, no. Okay? So, like, let's just set, say I sat down to translate the Bible this afternoon. Okay? Because I want to make some money. Man, that's a good job, man. I can make a lot of money selling the Bible. So I'm going to interpret John's translation of the Bible. So y'all go buy it. But, okay, and I do that, am I inspired by God to do that? Now, I might be called by God to do that. Really, if God calls me to translate the Bible, I'm not going to be able to do it, but I would try to do it. But I can be called to do that, but not inspired to do that. To me, that's a big word. Inspiration, inspired, that's a big word. And so uh, I believe the original Bible, the way we have it originally, is inspired by God. And we can talk about this from what Paul says in 1 Timothy perspective. But what I believe about the Bible, I mean, some people would say different things about this, 
But I don't believe God breathed into man his word and then man wrote it out what God breathed into him. I don't believe that's what happened. I don't believe that's what the Bible says originally. I believe God breathed out of Paul or whoever's writing the Bible the word of God. I don't believe that God breathed into Paul and he wrote down what he thought God said. I don't believe God breathed into him and Paul, yeah, I like that, I'm going to write that, but I'm going to change this to make it sound better or the way I think it should. I don't think biblical writers did that. I believe God breathed it out of them. And the reason I believe that is because of the word there, theonoustos, what we say, what Paul says there, God, God breathed, that's how the NIV translates, by the way, one of the best translations of that, 1984, by the way. But God breathed the word of God, some translations say inspired there. But the word theonoustos, it's pneumatic. It's where you get the word pneumatic. And so if you've ever had a pneumatic drill or went to a tire shop and heard them put on tires, what is that pneumatic drill? What is it doing? Man, it sound, it's pushing air out, right? I mean, it's pushing out how hard. That's why you have that sound, that high-pitched sound that's pushing air out. Well, that's what God did, theonoustos. God breathed out the Word of God. And so he only did that once. And so, yes, we have translations, and we even have, I mean, not only to have translations, you had to have original manuscripts. People would write it out. And some of those are different. Okay, if God did it, would they be different? No, there's errors in copying. Have you ever sat down and tried to copy just one book like Galatians? Okay, try to just do it sometime. Why don't you sit down and in English, write out the book of Galatians as you read it. Do you think you're going to get every word precise? Every dot, every tittle, every exclamation point, whatever. Do you think you're going to get it precise? Well, maybe if you're really concentrating, you do the book of Galatians. But then add 1st, 2nd Corinthians with it. And let's keep going. Do you think you're going to get everything just right? Okay, so as the Bible has been passed down over history, you have manuscripts. Some of those manuscripts have some differences in them. So what do we do? Well, we take the whole and look at that to try to translate the Bible as we have it today. And so we could do a whole class on this, by the way, when we talk about Bible <laughs> translation and even how we have the Bible and how it's been passed down to us because it is amazing and it's a miracle that we have the Bible the way we do. But... So that was a long answer to that question about inspired, wasn't it? But, but yeah, I'm sorry. But no, originally, yes. Translation-wise, pass-down-wise, no. I hope that made sense. I don't know why I went around the world to get there. But, uh, but no. So, but again, to get back to the point, we're going to be divided. We already are divided, but here's reality. It's going to get worse, okay? And you must remain faithful. And I guess the question, why should you remain faithful? Well, you don't have to look, but you might not still be there. <laughs> but listen to what John says in verse 28 of 1 John 2 as we talk about Antichrist. He says, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back in shame. Okay, so there are going to be some believers that when Jesus Christ returns are going to do what? They're going to be ashamed. They're going to be shamed. And why are they going to be ashamed? 
Because they did not stand in truth. They did not stand in truth. They didn't have the courage to do it. Because guess what? It's going to take some courage. You know what happens to Paul here when they come to divide? They stone him. That's what happens in Acts 14. They stone him to death, by the way, not just stone him, because you know what stoning is? It's execution. They stone you to death. And so that's what they did to him. And I believe God raised him from the dead here. But they stoned him to death. So when division comes, when opposition comes, when Antichrist comes, when the spirit of the Antichrist comes against the church, it's going to be painful. How do I know? We'll keep reading Acts 14. Okay, after he is stoned, after the division takes place, this is what happens in verse 21. After preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Now, where did the guys come that just stoned him? That's where they came from, right there. Places they had already been to share the gospel. So they're just backtracking. Why are they backtracking? This is why they're backtracking. They strengthen believers and encourage them to continue in the faith. Now, what did 1 John say? Remain in the faith. Be faithful. So they're going back because they know these guys came and just stoned Paul. They're trying to divide. They're going to do the same thing back when they get back to the new believers. So they're going back to encourage them. Hey, guys, it's coming. What's coming? Reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Okay. Boy, we could talk about this in a long day. How many hardships have you suffered to enter the kingdom of God? Well, you're going to in the last hours, in the last days. If you stand in courage and in faithfulness, you're going to suffer many hardships and many trials. And so they go back to these new believers and say, guys, it's coming. You need to be ready. But guess what the reward is? The kingdom of God, heaven, eternity. So remain faithful on this earth. That's what they did. They encouraged them. So they also did something else. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now, why did they do that? What do elders do in a church? They teach the Word of God. That's what they do in a church. That's what they're supposed to do in a church. Teach the Word of God. Why? So that people know truth. And they know the difference between a truth and a lie. And so they go back to all these churches they just started where whole cities were saved, but there's people there going to cause division, and there's people there that are going to do the same thing or try to do the same thing to them they did to Paul. Kill them if they don't agree with them. But you need to stand strong in faith and in courage. And they put elders there to teach them to do that. And they put them in the care of the Lord. Keep reading verse 24. Then they traveled back through Pisidia and Pamphylia, and they preached the word of God in Perga. Then they went to Italia. Guess what? They're doing the same thing everywhere they had just been. They're just backtracking, <coughs> making sure that these new believers don't get thrown off. Now, this is interesting, and I'll just, I'm almost out of time, but sometime this afternoon, go read Galatians 4. 
Okay, Galatians 4. Towards the end, the area that we're reading about, guess what the region is called? Galatia. Okay, so the book of Galatians is written to who? What we're talking about right here in Acts 13 and 14. Okay, and listen in Galatians chapter 4 to what Paul says. He's just doing again through a letter what he did right here in Acts chapter 14. He's saying the exact same thing. The exact same thing. So read that this afternoon. But look at what they did finally at the end of Acts 14 verse 26. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where the journey had what? Where it began. This is Acts 13. Antioch of Syria is the church that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to and they sent out Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas have been there as elders, as teachers, as preachers for a long time. That's where they had been discipled. The church grew these two men and then sent them out as missionaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they returned back to them. Why did they return back to them? Well, this is what they did. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work that they had now completed So upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything that God had done through who? Through them. And how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. So this is where we get missionary reports. Why do you think when we send a mission team out, they come back and give a report? Because this is what the Bible says. This is what they did. And so they were there to encourage the church of Antioch. Thank you for sending us out. Thank you for giving us money. Thank you for doing all the things you did as you prayed and as you fasted as we went so that God could work through us because that's how He chooses to do it. Through believers, He fills them with the Holy Spirit and He sends them out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they they encouraged the church and guess what the church did for them? It's reciprocal. They encouraged them and built them up. And this is what it says, verse 28, and they stayed there with the believers a long time. Why? Because they needed it. Paul had just been stoned to death, by the way. How do you think he looked by the time he got back here? When you read Galatians 4, you know what he's going to talk about? It's translated sickness. It ain't sickness. He's talking about being stoned and how horrible he looked. Can you imagine what it looked like for him to be stoned? I mean, he was awful looking. He needed to heal, not only physically, he needed to heal spiritually. And he needed to be built back up in the Lord. Why? So he could go back out. Was he done? Heck no, he wasn't done. Are you done? No, you're not done. I don't care what you've done or what you've been through. If you still have breath, you still have the gospel of Jesus in your bones and you should go out and preach it. And that's what Paul did. But he stayed here a long time to recover so that he could be healthy enough to go back out. And so this is why we do what we do. Have you ever wondered why missionaries come home on sabbatical? Right there it is. That's why they do it. To encourage us and so we can encourage them so they can heal, so they can go back out and do what God's called them to do. I mean, it's just a wonderful picture of the church. And I'm telling you, as we get closer and closer to that last hour, we're in the last days, but as we get closer and closer to the last hour, We might want to study this and we might want to live this because this is what it's going to be. And thank God for it. Aren't you glad for it? It's not discouraging. It's encouraging. I mean, here's a good question for you. As we talk about the last days and we talk about the last hours, 
how do you feel when we talk about that? Does it scare you? Does it encourage you? Man, it excites me to no end. I love it. I, I just cannot believe that God chose to put me on this earth during this period of time. I love that. I mean, think about that. He didn't choose Paul for this. He did not choose Paul for this. He chose you for it. Does that not boggle your mind? It should if it doesn't. He put you here for a purpose and for a reason just before the return of Christ Jesus. Oh my God, live it. Because when he returns, you're going to have one of two reactions. You're going to shrink back in shame or you're going to stand in courage with a glow on your face waiting for that sky to split and Jesus Christ to come for his church. Amen. Amen. Live it because it's exciting. It's exciting. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.